South Connection listeners, welcome back to the Ruthlessly Aggressive Podcast, episode 58. I'm, of course, your host, Jambalaya Jake. We are back. Took a little week off. Things are a little hectic, um, but I'm back in the saddle. Um, I have a great guest. Um, it's been a little while since he's been with me, but he's been here before. Uh, you could find him right here in the North-South Connection, who uh, doing WWE War and Viewer's Choice, among other guest spots that he does time and time again like he's doing tonight and that would be mr marcus fuller what's up marcus uh jake happy to be back in the saddle with you i am riding side saddle though because uh don't want to bruise but man i'm happy to be back talking some 2003 wwe uh this is right up my alley man so uh i'm, I'm pumped to be back on awesome so what like i said i think the last time you were on was no mercy i want to say That's we right. did the big the big brock taker um classic there um Real good yep. pay-per-view, but um, so w- now we're into 2003, a somewhat, I don't, I don't know if I'd say polarizing year, because I don't know if I hear a lot of high praise for it, but what, what's the, uh, if I would ask you what your associations are with 2003 WWE, what, like if you, to give you like the Rorschach test on 2003 WWE, what comes to mind? Oh, um, what comes to mind 2003 WWE? Um, for some reason that SummerSlam really stands out. I know we're a ways away from that, but that's the first thing that pops into my head. Right. Um, just because I think that's where, like, that was one of the first pay-per-views I ordered with my own money. And, um, yeah, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll we'll see when we get there. Uh, I'll, I've been following along with uh, you and the guests as you go along uh, every other week and, and watching the episodes. But I don't have fond memories of that show. <laughs> so that's the first <laughs> thing that pops into my head. But uh, other than that, man, like, the other thing that pops into my head is just um, – smackdown like at this time mm-hmm. i still don't have cable yet uh i won't have cable till like i think april of 03 um so i'm still very heavy on smackdown i'm relying on uh like bottom line and 
um, Afterburn and stuff like that to, to watch Raw. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, very much into SmackDown. Um, in the groove of it with SmackDown, like the little uh, little SmackDown screen on the side, the fist, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the the silver apron and and the the blue ropes, like just the whole aesthetic of this SmackDown. Like that's probably the the other thing besides the disappointing SummerSlam that sticks out to me during this time. Not a, not a bad time to be catching the afterburn version of Raw, I have to say. If you're going to have an era, this is not the worst to be not watching the full Raw, as I've been documenting, as we'll get into. We'll see how Raw holds up. Uh, the gap has been closed, I feel like, lately. But I don't know if it's necessary that, like, I just think SmackDown went through such a hot streak that it's going to be hard to keep that up. It's just, I mean, when you're doing week-to-week TV, you just can't necessarily always keep it up because you just only have certain guys that you can trot out there but um it'll be interesting one well we're far from SummerSlam 2003 but what we are at is the uh, go home week for no way out 2003 is where mm-hmm. we'll be so um definitely a big like i keep saying it like all of o2 is kind of a transition point but i feel like we we're really this stretch from no way out to like after mania from Mania 19 is I feel where we're really getting into like you really see things turn as we really move into this next era, even though I've been doing this podcast for like two years or whatever, but it's a slow build, but um, we're getting there. Yeah, I think um, uh, mm-hmm. to go along with uh, WWE War here with me and JT, like I think this this like 2002 to 2003 is like a perfect example of like a season in WWE because I feel like mm-hmm. WrestleMania 19 is such a finale and like they tie up some loose ends and like fully transition on to like the next part of the year at Backlash. But uh, yeah, I feel like we're really building to like a big culmination of like the last year or so of uh, storylines and, and comebacks and stuff like that. Right. So we'll cover. We have a couple news notes here. Not not a ton here. Not the juiciest week news wise. We have a few. This one, uh, Paul Levesque, uh, thirty three, proposed to Stephanie McMahon twenty six on Valentine's Day two thousand three, and they're officially engaged. Um, as and this is a Meltzer quote. As big as a deal as it sounds today, ten years from now, however this thing turns out, I have a feeling this will, in hindsight, be far bigger. So. Um, typical Meltzer word salad there, but uh, it is interesting. <laughs> he he was right in his you know very convoluted way of saying it that it would indeed be a much bigger deal in the next uh, decade or two. That's yeah, that's how you know marriages work. Like uh, <laughs> I don't what like what did he say? I don't even uh, I can't even comprehend. Like I guess he he's saying like I guess he's saying like company wise maybe. Oh, Right. But as big of a deal as that sounds today, 10 years from now, however this thing turns out, I have a feeling this will in hindsight, like how many try, times, try too 20. many, right, too many transitions there melts, but yeah, it's weird. Like I kind of like never really thought about when they actually got married. Like it's always like they were just together. Well, I mean, I guess we all know they got married in Vegas or whatever, obviously, but oh, yes, I do. Um, <laughs> so but I never really like um, I never really thought about when their shoot like marriage occurred. So. So here we are. Um, but obviously uh, they would go on to uh, take over the company even <laughs> where we are now. All right. Um, also, in the news, we get a lot here. It's going to come up in the show as he is going to be dropped <laughs> like nothing. And that's D'Lo Brown. D'Lo Brown was given notice that he will be let go when his contract cycle runs out on March 1st. His downside guarantee of 350 grand, not bad, D'Lo, negotiated during the good times may have been for the reason he never recovered after the injury to uh, Darren Drozdov. 
Um, and soon after what public he was considered jumping to WCW, yada, yada, yada. And then it goes into what we're going to see on this show, who his replacement's going to be in the angle. So um, poor D'Lo, they tried to, apparently they had a short, like, they did not give him a whole lot of chance. They did this angle where they were going to try and reheat him, didn't go over, and they let him go pretty quickly after that. So um, would you like to lament the release of one D'Lo Brown here, Marcus? Sure. And of course, the trauma that goes along with, uh, you know, being part of uh, the terrible accident to Darren Drozdoff, like that's got to take a toll on you. But like, you know, maybe mm. this is 2022 eyes, like give the dude some time off and then like let him come back. But I think what uh, gets forgotten about in the bag fumbling of D'Lo Brown is he was a Russo guy. He was very much used mm. on screen. Vince Russo uh, started getting some more saying like 97, 98 and was a very strong character for the Attitude Era during that time. And then, once you know it, when Russo leaves in October of 99, that also coincides with the the Drozdoff injury and accident. But they never really heat D'Lo back up. Like, I don't think it's mm-hmm. so much, um, uh, you know, him not being able to recover because he's still there at TV working. It's not like he took months and months off. They just don't use him. And I think that's because he was a Russo guy. And there's a, I think there's a clear, like, shift in prioritizing talent during that time and a lot of guys get left in the dust and it takes them a long time uh just to build themselves back up to like mid-card status so uh, i think he's more so a victim of that than than uh the drozdoff injury but um because i mean uh as been covered on on the networks um with tna like he has a god tier tna run with aj styles uh once he goes to japan mm-hmm. and comes back a little bit so uh, i think that is like proof to me that Dilo still had plenty in the tank and he just needed to be heated up properly yeah and we'll see like it's something i talk about a lot in this era especially on raw like Dilo's the exact guy like they don't know how to use in this era like they have kind of forgotten it seems like how to book like the undercard especially like on raw like it seems like D'Lo would be the perfect guy as we see like a lot of the void in the undercard on raw like trot him out there give him like kind of a you know mid-card feud let him go out there have like seven to ten minute little tv matches and stuff but they kind of instead they give him this gimmick but don't really give him a whole lot to get it over and don't position him and like they don't give him much of a chance to get it over like a lot of the times in this brief run he was like in the death slot before the main event or something like they're not really giving him like to your point like um like uh, as a Russo guy, Russo was kind of famous. It was always one of his strengths that he kind of knew how to take these undercar guys and make them feel more important than maybe they would if, you know, they didn't have something to work with. So I think there's something to what you're saying. Yeah. Dilo always had something going on during the, the Russo era. Uh, you know, whether he's with pound around with Mark Henry or the breakup, or he's going after the intercontinental title, or he's doing the, the European title or the, uh, the chest protector gimmick. Like Dilo always had something going on, hanging out with Godfather, like Dilo always had something going on um, and was, you know, I, I think definitely underutilized uh, during his run. So sad to see him go. All right. But we'll see his replacement. We'll talk about him shortly. And our final news note, I just thought there was, I, I'd never heard this before, but apparently it was mauled around of Rhino being the fourth member of the, uh, the Horseman Evolution group. But they changed their mind on that and they were going to move him to SmackDown. But then kind of Nathan Jones took whatever place they kind of have for Rhino. But I'm just imagining an alternate universe where Rhino is an evolution. It just seems 
um, preposterous. I don't know. Just I can't. <laughs> can you visualize Rhino and evolution? I think I can. I I, I think I can. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not sure. Like, does he take like what do they do with Batista? Like, I feel like him and Batista are like pretty redundant uh, if they're in right. the same group. Like they both serve the same purpose, even though like there's a height difference and um, whatever. But like they both kind of serve the same purpose. They're both like the bruiser. They're both the, the bodyguard, the protector, the uh, you know the go-getter, the hitman of the group. So um, hard to see like what Batista would have been then. Like <laughs> does Batista become like this uh, you know Matt Technique guy? Is that what they try to like force him <laughs> to be into, or like? What Shooter. happens is does Rhino get uh, reimagined into you know being you know Big Terry or something like uh, I have no idea. Um, Maybe I'm, you I'm get kind a, of a Rhino Rhino Batista tag team. That would rule really hard. <laughs> I thought you so I thought dope. you would like that. I thought you would like that. That's such so, a dude's um, rock tag team. <laughs> so yeah, just um we can uh maybe if we ever have a show where we like fantasy book like an alternate universe where like all these things happen we can figure out <laughs> rhino and evolution just and also the suits he's gonna have heavily oh, tailored he's suits so for sweaty. rhino he's gonna be really so gonna sweaty. have to like can i get the um 48 inch thighs on this uh <laughs> this uh suit here anyway so all right but that's all we have on the news front so we'll hop into this like i said we have the week before um, no Way Out 2003, so we'll start with Raw, as we always do. This is going to be the February 17th, 2003 Raw from Columbus, Ohio. And as is mentioned uh, several times on commentary, apparently there's blizzard-like conditions here in Ohio. So um, the fans braving the uh, – they always like to mention that anytime, you know, you got the fans that, like, um, you know, they fought through the snowstorm to come here to Raw tonight. So we'll see if they um, get their money's worth. Yeah, give give um, all the fans a shout out that uh, totaled their car trying to get to the get to the <laughs> right in Columbus. All right, Columbus so we'll Ohio. see. Um, we we uh we uh we come right out of the gate with a, a fun little match on paper. It's going to be RVD versus Lance Storm. Um, the classic. Uh, they have a tag match coming up, so we put them in a singles match to kind of keep things going. So uh. Yeah, we get a nice opening from RVD. He's laying in all his normal RVD offense at the storm. Uh, he takes a pretty nice bump off of the uh, handspring, slamming his ribs. Of, uh, sorry, he uh, slams his face on the barrier, kind of his face and his ribs, sort of. But um, a typical, real rough uh, RVD bump. He goes full balls into it. Uh, storm slows it down a little bit. He does some crisp mat work uh, offense, real tight stuff. Moving at a pretty nice pace. RVD slowly works his way back in. Lands a flurry, ending with his uh, little top rope sidekick. That looked pretty nice. Storm hits a nice counter here. Rolls uh, RVD into a Boston Crab, which is um, funny enough. I just did the, uh, um, it'll be coming out soon, but I did the um, Seven Months of Danger new pod here. And um, I saw basically this exact spot, Arn Anderson, do it in the Enforcers versus uh Steamboat and Dustin Rhodes match almost the same spot with the Boston Crab, so oh, that's kind yeah. of a fun little. Uh, I always like that cool little spot there, but uh, yeah, like I said, a nice little steady pace here. I wouldn't necessarily call it like a sprint, but they don't really not a whole lot of downtime. They don't um, they don't waste a whole lot of time. But our finish, Rob wastes a bit of a second looking at Regal. He nearly loses a shot at the five star, but he recovers, hits the five star, pins Lance Storm, and uh, picks up the win to 
make RVD and Kane go into the pay-per-view looking strong. But I dug this. Nice opening match. Like I said, good pace. Both guys playing their roles well. RVD's like the fiery baby face. Storm is kind of like the technical heel. Um, good way to kind of keep the tag match that's coming on Sunday fresh in our mind. I didn't really mind Storm losing. Um, Storm and Regal as a team, they haven't been like they haven't been booked as like dominant or like they've kind of been booked as a team that kind of fell into this, not somebody who's been, you know, super great anyway. So I don't think they lose much by storm losing a match. And, uh, yeah, I, I came, I was thinking like, this is the type of match that Raw needs more of. And it's kind of what they they're missing. A lot of times is just giving, I mean, they have the guys to do it, but just give them like a little bit of time. Like I think this went maybe seven minutes or so, but just give two guys that can go give them enough time to actually put a little something together and give the crowd time to get invested. So I ended up going, uh, two and a half on this one, Marcus, a nice little opener. You said it, uh, not just then, not just now, but forever. This is the kind of match that raw needs. <laughs> it applies all the time. In my opinion, mm-hmm. this was a banger. This is how you start off a show. You get characters out there that the crowd is connected to, that they're familiar with, that they all recognize it's nonstop action. Uh, the only time things slow down is when it played into Lance storm's advantage, which is being a mat wrestler, being a technician. So like it made sense that the match slowed down after he tried to keep pace with RVD in the beginning. Um, yeah, they really heat things up. Like the action never, never stops other than, you know, storm grinding, uh, grinding RVD down. Um, and like, this didn't need to go like two or three segments to be a great match. Like it's, you know, kind of times we're in now, but like, this is, this is like my speed, man. I thought both guys looked awesome. I'm hyped to see the pay-per-view match. Um, and I went a full three stars on it. I really enjoyed it for, like you said, it wasn't really a sprint, but like it kept a sprint um, pace. Um, so, yeah, it, it was an awesome match. You know, I think I'm going to bump it to three, two because I realized getting to my awards later, my awards won't make sense unless I give this a three. So I think I'm going to bump it to a three. Um, yeah, I dug it. Real good TV match. Opens things up. You know, enough to make remind you of what the match is on Sunday, but, you know, simple to the point, it did what it needed to do. So, good opener here. Yeah. Uh, all right. We'll chug along. We head backstage to uh, your favorite, HBK. He's in a blazer, and he's lecturing uh, young uh, Jeff Hardy here. I apparently, he left his shit on the plane or something like that. But uh, uh, Eric Bischoff passes by, and they, uh, they tell him good luck. And Eric, who is a bit on edge, does not like this. He sees as them, um, you know, making fun of him. So he says that tonight he's going to address everyone and it will be HBK who's going to need some luck. So they thoroughly pissed off Eric Bischoff here before he walks down to the ring. Um, He teases that he has someone here tonight. Of course, it's, you know, insinuated that it could be Austin, but it is not. It is actually Chief Morley. He reinstates him. Now that Eric has his uh, position back, he goes on and on about how everyone is against him and he wants to... uh, and everybody wants him to fail, etc. He puts uh, HBK and Hardy together tonight in a match against Jericho and Christian. He says the Dudleys are suspended. We see them backstage being escorted out by security and the police. Um, Bubba's over the top. Like, look, I know Bubba's from New York, but I feel like he plays it up. Like, uh, what? It, like in this one, he goes like, uh, "This ain't close to being over." And I'm like, okay, settle down here, New York Bubs. <laughs> um, he's really playing it up. But anyway, Spike has to face three-minute warning, kind of his punish, uh, their punishment for what they've been pulling. They pulled last week, and finally, he put uh, Bischoff puts himself against Jr. 
um, tonight where he will use his martial, martial arts to show Steve Austin what's in store for him at No Way Out. So kind of Eric going on a, uh, a bit of a uh, rampage here, kind of his revenge after he kind of got dressed down by Vince the last couple of weeks, kind of reinstating his power here at Marcus. Yeah, I like the the flow. Um, it was almost like an old like SNL, like flowing from the um, hallway out to like uh, the stage, um, the live crowd. Like, I liked it. I liked. Um, oh, can't believe I'm gonna say this, but um, I liked uh, the Shawn Michaels, Jeff Hardy, Eric Bischoff interaction. I thought all that was good. I liked incorporating the uh, travel woes. Uh, in, into the show I, I just think it's a very relatable thing especially now um they could really do that um so yeah I, I was fine with all that um I'm always good with bubble Ray Dudley getting kicked off the show that's always great <laughs> <laughs> um, you know and I just thought the uh the fashion <laughs> was just really stood out to me uh like Morley suit I feel like that's something I would have wore um going to like Sunday school as a kid um <laughs> and jr is wearing this weird like i could only describe it as like casually business casual athletic attire um <laughs> he's, got, like, he's got he's got like a some kind of like long sleeve shirt on but then he has on like um almost like a windbreaker but it's a cut like a vest it, it it's so yeah just a time right. capsule he's dressed like a like a division two like college football coach or something. <laughs> yes like, yes at a, at a banquet <laughs> <laughs> right yeah um other than that like I, I thought everything was fine uh setting the table trying to um throw some heat on top of bischoff heading into into no way out i don't really know if he needs it but um you know this is what they decided to do are you into bischoff as like the authority figure here or like do you find him like interesting Yes, yeah, I don't think it's played out yet on WWE TV, and I think he has enough differences um, from Vince and from the other authority figures that we've seen uh, to feel fresh and original. So I've got no problem with Bischoff during this time. I agree. I kind of dig him here, and I thought it was pretty good, too. I thought it, he hit his points well. It kind of makes sense off of, like I said, it kind of reestablishes him like he's back in power. He's going for revenge. After, you know, get it, like I said, after Vince kind of coming for his job, he survived that. And now he's back to get back at everyone who tried to kind of screw him over. And he's not totally wrong with everyone wanting him to fail. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I agree because, like, you can't, you also can't, like, discount that the novelty is still there with just the idea of Eric Bischoff being prominently featured on WWE TV. I mean, he, he's been around for a minute at this point, but it's still, I think it's still novel. Like you said, it hasn't worn thin, too thin yet. And like there's still so in like the Austin stuff is interesting just because of their history. So I think there's still enough intrigue there with Bischoff, just with all the history going back to WCW. So I do. And he's a good performer. Like he's really good in right. this role. Yeah, um, I think so, I think yeah. this feud mm -hmm. um, really shows off like his his performance chops. Um, and I think some of the issues that we might run into or specifically you might run into, uh, you know, maybe with being done with Bischoff or him being overexposed is as a result of this little run right here where he can prove how versatile mm -hmm. and valuable he is as a performer. Right. All right. We uh, we then head backstage. We see a tense moment between the uh, returning uh, Jazz, who's been back for a couple of weeks, and Victoria, our current champ. Um, Victoria says that she doesn't need Jazz's help like she got last week. She's the champion. 
but Jazz says that she's only the champion for now. So um, I'm I'm big I'm cool with this because I'm I'm ready for anything new in the women's division. They've kind of run the Victoria Trish stuff into the ground a little bit, so I'm just ready for them to to move on to whatever is going to maybe freshen this up because they're not really going to do anything new with Victoria and Trish. They just kind of run them out there every week. So I'm down for whatever new thing they want to send to us here. Yeah, me too. Uh, it's a, it's a shame that they aren't uh, further along in their presentation of women at this point, because I think if you present jazz as she is, but going up against Victoria, um, mm-hmm you can have her turn face without necessarily needing her to act like a face. Um, and I think that would have been uh, made for a good series of matches uh, between the two of them. But, you know, we'll see what we get. I thought the segment was good. Uh, I thought it was intriguing. And I'm, I'm happy we're moving away uh, for the time being from Victoria and Trish. Right. And so with that, we'll head to the match with these two. So they're going to be in a tag match. They're actually teaming together and they're going to be facing Jackie and Molly. So Jack starts off. She's pummeling Molly. Victoria comes in. Um, I, I don't know about you. Did you find that? I don't know what it was, but it felt like they were wrestling kind of weirdly slow in this match for some reason. And did you catch that? Did it seem slow at all to you? Maybe it was just me. I didn't know if. I was just thrown off by like Molly being on the, Mm -hmm. I don't know, like the facto face. Like that was kind of out of nowhere, I thought. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, something seemed a little bit off, I think, given the talent in the ring. Um, You know, I guess we'll get to it as we get uh, into the match. But yeah, something seemed like they were just a, a half, half a speed off. Right. And the, the crowd too, and this is going to be an issue to the point on this show where I almost thought like, the crowd was mic'd wrong or something. They, like during this match, the crowd is silent. And not even like, I felt like it was more extreme than you typically get with kind of a dead crowd. Like it felt eerily silent, like at points. But uh, Jazz particularly has some good power up stuff in here. Like and I, I like uh, that scoop slam that she did. It was pretty nice. Uh, Jackie comes in. She attempts a hot tag, but she just eats a DDT from Jazz. And we kind of get the pin out of nowhere. Again, I don't, something about it like uh, just felt a bit slow to me. Like, like they were hitting the power stuff, but I felt like everything in between just felt a little bit off. Like you said, it's weird because Molly's coming in and almost working like a face and almost doing the, I don't know. It's odd. And it's just so weird how quickly they dropped her. And like, she's just such a nobody now. Like they don't even really talk about her. Um, and again, the crowd just felt like that. Like it felt like they were almost like anti sweetened Like instead of sweetening the crowd, they like dead. <laughs> they turned the down or something. Yeah. It was. Right, yeah, it was real weird. So I, I ended up going a star on it. Um, again, kind of an odd match, but the result's fine. I mean, it's just to kind of get Jazz and Victoria out there, make them look strong, and to kind of continue to push as we'll get to with the uh, with the post-match little segment. Yeah, everything you said, I wasn't too much higher. I went a star and a half uh, just because you know, they were competent. Like, the work was okay. It was just, you know, slow. But, um, yeah, I, w- I was more interested in the post-match, and, uh, and you know, I thought that was – um where we needed to get to uh, so right uh yeah matches all right right so the post-match jazz beats up jackie after jr says the crowd is stunned so i guess he's maybe trying to cover for the kind of lack of crowd reaction jazz gets on the mic and tells us that the bitch is back and she pushes victoria out the way but victoria grabs her they kind of exchange some strikes but uh jazz is kind of into it she smiles and walks away so definitely seems like we're building to these two and it's 
Yeah, the jazz reaction here. What would you make of that? Like jazz smiling as she walked away. Like it is a little faceless, faceish. Uh, that sounds maybe too much like another word, but um, uh, yeah, she uh, yeah she kind of smiles and walked away. What did you make of that? Yeah, I, I do wonder now. Like talking through it, like were they maybe thinking about a temporary face tor- face turn for Jazz just to see how that played? But you know, on commentary, you know, not so much Jr. But King especially is like really really brutal uh, about Jazz and you know his perceived looks of her. Um, so like, I don't think that was ever going to really happen with just how commentary always talked about her, but, um, yeah, I- I'm intrigued. I really am intrigued and, you know, I'm pretty sure it's not going to go anywhere, but, uh, it at least has my interest peaked for what could be. Yeah. Like she almost comes off like in the, like a Brock style face, like not going to be like true baby face, baby face, but more like the badass baby face, but right. who knows? You never know what, what the, like you mentioned her, like they're so... They're still really, really far behind in the presentation here. So it wouldn't shock me if, like, next week this is totally different and Jazz is a heel again. You just never know what you're going to get with this. It just never feels like they're putting a ton of thought into it, unfortunately. So, right. uh, But anyway, Goldust got electrocuted. We get a recap of that <laughs> um, as Evolution uh, got Goldust electrocuted. Booker T is on the mic and he tells us that Goldust is uh, he's having a rough go since the electrocution. He's having some neurological problems. Terry says that evolution um, actually doesn't care. They don't seem to, uh, they don't really seem to have any remorse for what they did to poor Goldie. Um, and that does not sit well with Booker T he says, if you mess with his friends, you mess with him. So Booker is uh, so kind of leading to this uh, Booker T conflict and it's going to be a running theme through this show. And it started last week but Booker being elevated more into this picture with evolution and kind of just being elevated more into the upper card. But um, uh, so with this kind of pair, we go to evolution. They're sitting around making jokes, um, various kind of corny dad jokes. Uh, Booker and the cooker is what they refer to uh, <laughs> Booker and Goldust and that. And then they pivot to Steiner, who um, they say that uh, if they don't, they're going to stop Steiner and they give the old classic like he's not going to make it to the pay-per-view line. So. There we go. Thoughts well, here, Marcus. <laughs> you know, anybody that messes with <laughs> my friend, you know, talk about gold dust. Then, you know, I got to put the beating down on you. You know what I'm talking about, man. <laughs> so, with neurological problems, but so the, sad. The doctor said he going to be okay. Thank goodness. Uh, very serious. This is very like, solemn. No, he was very solemn. Right. I can't. All of this, and I can't believe like where this is going to go with Goldust. It's going to be such a tonal 180 whenever he actually returns, knowing where this goes. Because they played it so, so like you are right. Like Booker is like he's looking down at the ground when she first puts the mic to him. He's like, look, Goldust. He's not doing well. He's really <laughs> having a hard time with this. Like he's got brain damage or something. Um, but anyway, like. And again, this is going to be a running theme through this with Booker. And like that the first thing they mention is Booker. And then Steiner is like, you know, kind of the afterthought in this promo. When Evolution gets their point, they're like talking about Booker T. And they're like, oh, yeah, and we're going to beat up Steiner. So we'll see how that continues to play out. Uh, but then we get a tribute to the uh, the great Kurt Hiddick here. So uh, typical well done WWE tribute package here. Um, I said on the last episode, uh, I covered the news note that he had uh, passed away 
unfortunately, at a very young age, one of the uh, the uh, tragic early deaths in wrestling. But uh, yeah, so RIP in 2003 to Kurt Hennig. Uh, any thoughts on this? Any anything you want to say about Mr. Hennig and his death 20 years ago? <laughs> um, it was a real bummer out of nowhere. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I just wasn't thinking about you know what what had happened this week. Um, you know, watching it so like this, the kind of like at this day in history kind of thing. So caught caught me off guard, um, and it just took me back to a time where it was like every week it seemed like like mm-hmm. somebody was dying from our childhood, um, and it's really scary to think about like just how recent it is. Um, like mm-hmm. you know, Mr. Perfect's run you know, aired there from what eighty eight to ninety three primarily. Like that's only like <laughs> ten years. Like just thinking about. Uh, mm-hmm. If that was now, you know, the guys that would be falling off, um, you know, just 10 years after their TV run, um, you know, really put things into perspective for me. So, uh, yeah, that, w- that was that was a bummer, but I thought it was a real classy video package and um, uh, good of them to do. Right. Um, yeah. So we'll, we'll continue on. So I mentioned earlier when we talked about the news of um, D'Lo being released that he was going to have a replacement. And we are now going to see his replacement in action. It is going to be Rodney Mack facing off against Al Snow. So he's going to be Teddy Long's new charge here. Teddy introduces him, uh, buries D'Lo, says that he's, uh, <laughs> he couldn't win a match or whatever, just completely buries poor D'Lo. Says it doesn't get any wider than Snow, meaning Al Snow. Uh, Teddy's coat here is a, an interesting piece of fashion. Like it was like huge, but it, it's like a suit coat, but it only has like one button. I don't, I don't know what you, <laughs> it was a, and then like, it was like maroon, just a, a very interesting piece of clothing on Teddy here. Um, but, uh, Rodney Mack, uh, I thought he, he has a good look coming in. He's in great shape. Uh, pretty ripped he's got the tats that make him look kind of intimidating uh jr too is just baffled by anything teddy says he acts as if teddy is speaking like a different language <laughs> which i mean it's not like teddy was saying anything like that insane like no he's pretty sh- straightforward but jr just has no clue he, he doesn't know what to make of uh teddy but um any thoughts on this debut before we get into the uh the match or just the initial uh look of rodney mack here's replacement for d'lo so Rodney Mack was on SmackDown with uh, Cena just a few weeks ago, right? Yes, very briefly. Very briefly. Very brief. And I thought he had a tremendous presence there. And I thought he lacked, as like as awesome as that presence was on SmackDown, I thought it was equally missing on Raw. Um, he looks mm-hmm. incredible. Looks dope. Uh, at that time, not everybody has tattoos and a shaved head. So, like, he really stands out and, you know, looks almost like a video game character. Like, this looks like probably what the supreme fighting machine comma should have been like this dude looks pretty legit um <laughs> without looking cartoonish um but yeah just something about the presence is missing a little bit i do love teddy long on the mic oh my gosh he was so funny uh <laughs> talking, about, talking about whitey taking it to whitey <laughs> taking it to the man um talking about how al snow uh don't get any whiter than that and <laughs> i thought that was like a great line um and saying how uh al snow had about the same chance winning this match as america does having a black president little did uh mr long know we're not too far off of that um so that was encouraging but um yeah i was i was here for uh down with the brown and time to back the mac i thought that was a great line right the um yeah he definitely has a more you know um no pun intended stripped down 
because I feel when he was at Cena, and I want to say they called him like Big Red or something like that when he was, was at Cena, Red Dog um, or Re- Red Dog, Red Dog. Yes, that's what it was. Um, but I feel like he had like more clothes and stuff. Where here he's just kind of got a real straightforward look with the short trunks and stuff. So yeah, it's a little more stripped down. But I agree, he looks he does look like a badass. So uh, the match itself. Um, so Al comes in, he has some fire, and really it's like all Al Snow early um, until he gets. Uh, Rodney gets the knees up on the moonsault, and from there, uh, Rodney wins with the uh, the underhook powerbomb. Will look pretty nice, but I don't Ooh. know. Uh, this was a, a an odd uh, odd match for me because it felt like Al Snow took basically the whole match, and then Rodney Mack just kind of wins at the end when uh, he kind of counters the moonsault. I thought maybe we'd get a bit more of a dominant performance from uh, from Rodney Mack. I, I went a star on. I thought it was okay, but I. I would have liked to see um, Mr. Mack look a bit more impressive, knowing that he's coming in and Al Snow's not doing anything. So why not just sacrifice Al here and let uh, Rodney Mack look like a badass? Yeah, and I know they mentioned that uh, we're in Columbus, Ohio, and not too far off, <laughs> I guess, from Al Snow's hometown of Lima, Ohio. I have no idea. Lima, of course. I have no idea where in correlation that is to Columbus, um, but we're at least in the same state. Um, as Ohio is the uh, Midwest slash Northeast version of Florida. Uh, I'm not a big Al Snow fan. Um, It does not surprise me that Al Snow took every opportunity to get his stuff in uh, to the detriment of the job at hand of making Rodney Mack look good. Uh, That said, if Al Snow would have pulled that on me, I would have dropped him on his dome just like Rodney Mack did with that underhook uh, power bomb because <laughs> <laughs> he had that coming. Um, yeah, Al Snow really didn't sell a single thing. Like he'd get hit with a nice like belly to belly, overhead belly to belly suplex, uh, and then like pop right back up and go to the corner like it's a video game. Um, you know, it, I know Al Snow has a better reputation than that as a worker. So, um, yeah, um, I thought that that. Uh, Tiger driver, the Tiger bomb or whatever. Um, I thought that was fair game. Uh, excellent. Good job, uh, Mr. Mr. Mack. One down, <laughs> uh, as my, my friend New Jack would say. Uh, he's, not my, he's not my friend, but uh, yeah, good job, Rodney <laughs> Mack. <laughs> One less white to worry about. Friend. <laughs> yeah. So um, Google Maps tells me that Lima, Ohio is seems to be like – I guess in the outskirts within the like a 50 mile radius of Columbus. Oh, okay. So I guess they're going for that. I guess they're, I guess they're going for that big Al Snow hometown pop. Like, so let them get a half ass squash instead of just getting completely squashed. I'm sure the crowd really cared a lot about old Al, but hope all, yeah, hope all which the would boys, have been more uh, dominant. I hope all the boys thanked Al Snow for the house. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's why they went to the blizzard to see how. <laughs> yeah, but uh, uh, one and a half for me. And that's just because of uh, how dope that uh, that underhook powerbomb looked. That I really enjoyed Al Snow getting dumped on his noggin. Dropping Al Snow on his head. Got a poetic justice. Yeah, where was the head? Hey, so, so they've transitioned him. He's no longer like Al Snow with the head. His, his character at this point is like tough enough coach. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like (laughs) he still comes out and does all the mannerisms that like 1999 Al Snow would do. He just doesn't have the the head. And I'm like, it doesn't. Why why are you holding an invisible head? It's this does not make any sense to me. 
yeah, there's there's a whole crop of guys like we we're just talking about Dila. Like you have Al, you have Rikishi. They just all kind of feel a little bit odd at this point. Like they're still doing like their old gimmick, but it's like they don't go quite as full into it anymore. Like Rikishi will still dance, but he's not like full on too cool Rikishi anymore. It's yeah, there's a there's a whole like crop of guys still left here that are kind of have this issue, but um. The uh, the the Jr. Bischoff. So they show the match graphic here. I think it was at this point. If not, it was a little bit after this. But I have to mention it because it absolutely killed me. Because you have Eric. Because the the picture was uh, Jr. still sitting at the desk, and they like included the desk as part of his match graphic. Like they didn't have any. They couldn't like take him in like back like backstage before the show. Like, hey, uh, Jim, just stand in front of this wall, and we'll take a picture of. No, they had to get him at the commentary desk. It was absurd. And like I, uh, I know they have promo shots of him, right? Like this is not like oh we didn't have a picture of Jr. Like somebody purposely decided it'd be hilarious, and they were right to just have right. cranky Jr. sitting at the <laughs> at the table with his his big hat on, looking right. Right. like he's gonna come down the ramp in his entrance with the table, like riding the <laughs> table down. Anyway, amazing. All right, but uh, Jericho and Christian talk about HBK. Christian has this I don't know what you call that style of hat. I was trying to think of it and I couldn't remember like, I mean, it's like a beanie, but it's like the beanie with the flaps on it. I don't yeah. know. I don't know the name of that style of hat. Um, but anyway, he had one of those on, which I guess was just supposed to be like to make him look like more of a goof, but they talk about HBK. Uh, Jericho says he's going to take him out. It's just kind of them talking trash about them. And um, the highlight was Christian saying that, of course you're going to do it. Cause Oh wait, um, you're right. C man, which um, was a, uh, that was a highlight for me, him calling uh, Jericho Seaman. <laughs> um, Google is telling me that they are called a trapper hat. Ah, there we go. Trapper hat on Christian. Yeah, uh, I thought it was a great look, though. Um, and I don't know if Christian's just trying to, like, throw stuff at the wall to kind of see what sticks. Mm-hmm. He's in, he's another guy that very easily kind of could have been stuck in that attitude era transition, but he's slowly starting to like just try different things and figure things out so um christian's always down to make himself look like a complete fool uh so i i enjoyed the segment and the nice little touch by jericho with the gum swat yeah they work well together because they have that same kind of (laughs) the goofy canadian humor yeah they can do the whole yeah, so it works. But all right, we'll go to our match that was set up earlier, which is going to be HBK in his um, who is uh, his mentee Jeff Hardy, and they're going to be facing Jericho and Christian. And they throw in at the last second that this is going to be like no DQ, so that's thrown here too. Um, like we mentioned earlier, when he was in the Blazer, HBK's HBK is resting in jeans due to airline difficulty, maybe because of the blizzard, lost his luggage or something. But uh, we start off Jeff's in there. He eats absolute shit on the barricade run. So that kind of neutralizes him. And then the heels gang up on HBK and handcuff him to the uh, ring post and then go to work on Jeff Hardy. Um, they they do work a tag in this, which is always a bit odd in a no DQ match. Like, why would anyone respect the tag rules? But we'll just roll with it. They, uh, they you know, they beat up Hardy. They tease Sean with the key. Jericho doing some good heel work, um, dangling the key in front of Sean. Jeff tries, but it's just too much. He can't uh, overcome the numbers. They start, they go outside back on Sean. They tear his shirt off, start whipping him with his leather belt. They turn back to Jeff and then taunt Sean with the key again. But it is one too many times. Sean lays a kick in, gets the key. Um, it almost felt like we were going to get the uh, a weird, like, Anytime they have the handcuffs in wrestling, it's always touch and go because 
like, are they going to be able to unlock it? Like, how long is it going to take them? Is it going to be, like, awkwardly long for them to get out of it? But he mm-hmm. managed to get out, I think, just before it would have started to get weird. But uh, Sean comes in uh, kind of somewhat hot. I thought it was a bit of a tepid hot tag from Sean after getting out the handcuffs. But uh, he's able to clear house enough. Jeff, it, things break down a bit. Jeff hits a swanton on Jericho and actually pins Chris Jericho going into the uh, pay-per-view. And um, so the match itself, I thought it was fine. Uh, I, I thought it was a little bit, I don't feel like they built a great amount of drama considering like they did the handcuff spot. Um, like I didn't feel like it, it felt like the, um, I don't know, like I didn't feel enough peril. Like it felt a little tepid and rushed. Like maybe they just didn't have enough time to really build the drama of like if Sean was going to get out of the handcuffs. But um yeah, like one of my takeaways from this is that they're just ready to move on to the Mania feuds. Like you can tell they really just want to do Sean and Jericho and they're ready to move on to that. And they're kind of getting that in our heads. But I ended up only going two on it. I was a bit disappointed in this one considered the people involved. Like I said, I just feel like they didn't quite build the uh, the drama that I was expecting given the way they did this match. Yeah, it was very much like a TV match. Like it could have been, they could have came out and delivered like a pay-per-view quality match, uh, given everybody involved. But this felt like the in between a house show and pay-per-view version, which I guess would be TV. So um, I'm never a fan of handcuffs in wrestling. It's um, it's kind of like time travel in a movie for me. Like once it's introduced, then like why isn't it just used all the time? And like anything is possible. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard for me to get invested. Like. Why didn't they just handcuff him earlier? Why doesn't everybody use handcuffs, like, any time? Like, mm-hmm. if, if it really works that well, it should be a lot more commonplace. So, um, I did at least appreciate that uh, they didn't have Shawn Michaels' Superman out of the uh, handcuffs and actually had him uh, <laughs> retrieve the key. Because um, <laughs> I don't know if I could have took that. But I got to give credit to Shawn Michaels. Um, I am a sucker for uh, Come As You Are in a Street Fight. Uh, or a no DQ style match. And I know he had uh, the quote unquote uh, travel woes, but uh, I thought that was a nice touch to make this match feel a little bit different. Right. But um, yeah, like I just thought they, I thought they might've done more like to get maybe some sympathy on Jeff, but in, um, in Sean here, like really have them like uh, Jericho and Christian lay into him, maybe use some, bit more of the weapons but maybe they didn't feel like taking that kind of thing tonight so yeah um um, i do want to say like christian versus hbk i'm not sure if that's a tv match that ever happens but like Mm -hmm. that would probably be like a sneaky um you know borderline like tv match of the year candidate um Mm -hmm. you know if they or if they still did like dvd comps like that would be one that would make the cut like uh once I saw them in the match together, I was like, I feel like these two would absolutely tear it down. I couldn't really remember like a, a match between the two of them. Um, but yeah, that that left me wanting a little bit more of those two. When it inevitably starts happening, I may have to start tracking that because I know there's going to be an era in this era of Raw where you get the um, where we're going to get into like Sean. Like, not really dream match territory, but like, look, Sean facing this guy that you never thought he would face. Sean face, Sean versus Shelton Benjamin. Sean versus this guy. Like, like that whole run where he's just having matches with people that you didn't think he would ever face when he retired kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, maybe I have to track you. But I have a question for you that I feel like I'm surprised that you were not more upset. What happened to Test? Where is Test here? <laughs> like, he was fully embroiled in this feud with Jericho, and he's just kind of like not here. 
if I had Stacy Keebler, I wouldn't be showing up to my job either. <laughs> it's just, and like, I don't think they're going to fight at the pay-per-view. It seemed like they were all set up to fight at the pay-per-view. And now I think he's going to face Jeff Hardy. It's just, and I thought maybe I'd see something. Maybe test was hurt or. I, I know he breaks his ankle, maybe he's doing but I girls think that's while. later. That's later in the summer. He ends up like breaking his ankle. So I don't know where he's at. Yeah, I have no clue. It's very odd. Like, I think even last week they were still kind of building Jericho versus Test, and now they've all of a sudden pivoted to Hardy. I don't know what the hell is going on, but poor Test. I don't know. Uh, well, not another another Russo like guy he's... taking a bullet. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it was just uh, – like, they didn't even mention him. They didn't even try and, like, <laughs> give us any reason why he wasn't there. Like, oh, he's filming Girls Going Wild and whatever – <laughs> or the hell they would be. What is it like? University of Arizona or wherever the hell. They yeah. Go. He's not even at like the party uh, schools. The world. It's like he's just nowhere. Right in the world is test. All right. Now we go to speaking of TV matches. This is a, this is a TV match here. It's going to be Chris Nowinski versus Hurricane. Uh, get a Harvard sucks chance. So at least Nowinski is getting a little bit of a crowd reaction here. Um, I, I was thinking at this point, like he's been a while. He's been around for a while at this point. Like he's, been he debuted a good while ago and he's just never really found any traction um even with the heel character he's just floundered a bit and a lot of that's i mean they haven't put him in the best position to succeed they've kind of stamped him with the tough enough thing which is kind of like a curse for these guys but yeah he hits some kind of basic stuff it's a lot of like nowinski doing a lot of not super convincing kind of rest holds like he does a neck vice that doesn't look super impressive um like at one point I, you tell me, was this a JR like making fun of King for liking young girls? Because they're talking about the Harvard thing and uh, whatever. Like, yeah, he was uh, nobody liked him on campus because, uh, you know, he was so popular in King's. Uh, JR says, uh, yeah, you spent a few hours on campus. I know that. I was wondering, <laughs> is, he making like a, is he making like a King liking young girls joke there? I don't know. And well, not college doing campus. That. That's we know that. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, I think uh, but, Jr. Snuck uh, a live one in there. Yeah, but very a lot of counters in this. Like it was a lot of um, in the middle of the ring, kind of countering each other's moves. But I, out of nowhere, Hurricane hits the eye of the Hurricane and takes the win here. So not a whole lot going on here. I ended up going a star on it. I always kind of like Hurricane, but I felt like it was. Most of this was Nowinski doing some stuff that didn't really stick with me too much, just some real basic strikes and stuff. Yeah, I was right there with you. I went a star and a half on this. Um, There was like a good 30 seconds I did like where uh, Nowinski went to the outside and Hurricane uh, did like a a house show dive, a plancha over the top, but instead he landed and did like a Hurricane Rana. I thought that was that was pretty good, and for Nowinski not having that experience level or really knowing how to base for that kind of move, uh, being taught that, uh, I'm sure they're not teaching how to base for lucha stuff down at uh, tracks. Uh, I thought he did really well with that, and then they go on the inside, um, and Hurricane is on the apron, and he goes to slingshot back in, um, but this time Nowinski catches him, and then like he basically just like body slams him up and ends up in a clothesline, uh, stun gun style on the rope. I thought that was a cool little uh, TV cutoff. But um, outside of that, this match didn't offer too much. Um, but, yeah, Nowinski's really solid. Um, and I just wish they would have committed to pairing him with an established TV act so that, like, he could just kind of, you know, get brought along with somebody else. And 
I know they kind of teased like him and Regal and like that fell off. Um, yeah, I wish they just, I wish the roster was maybe a little bit deeper and there was somebody that he could just attach himself to. Um, you know, he doesn't exactly fit in with like Jericho and Christian, but like that's the caliber of, you know, character he needs to be associated with um, for him to latch on. Cause I think he's, I think he's really solid. Um, he just needs to uh, be familiarized with the audience. He He's definitely good enough in ring where like, like solid enough in ring where if they could truly get that character over, like he could really, like he would be solid in the ring, but have the character that's super over and gets a right. lot of heel heat. But it's like, they'd never fully, it's a story of a lot of people in Raw. Like they just never fully, it's the same thing happened with D'Lo. It just feels kind of half-assed. Like, oh, look, he's Harvard. Look, uh, nobody likes him. But all he does is have like two-minute matches on TV. And, you know, they never really commit to him and try and truly get him over. And so he just kind of flounders, unfortunately, for him. Yeah, he's on the wrong brand. You put Nowinski on SmackDown, I think you're talking about um, mm-hmm. a real solid mid-carder, uh, U.S. title type of uh, character point all right we cut to eric he's practicing on the kick pads with morley as jr's face on the kick pads and um uh, getting ready for his big match and then we get the reveal of the no way out theme song which i did not remember this one which i thought i would because it's a pretty big song for a no way out and that is bring me to life by uh evanescence featuring um with amy lee of course so i did did you remember that that was the song for this that's a pretty good I sure song. did. I sure did. Um, Evanescence is one of my favorite bands. Uh, that's one of my favorite songs. So when it was announced as a theme song, I was super hyped because it was like uh, two of my passions uh, coming together <laughs> for an ambitious collaboration. Um, and I think this is still before the song really, really took off. Um, mm-hmm. It's going to take off as we go into the uh, spring and summertime. But uh, yeah, I think this is, I have in my notes here, like, is this the biggest or maybe most mainstream song that WWE's used for uh, a pay-per-view? It, it's up there. Like, they've got Sweet Home Alabama, of course, right. but, like, I think this is in, in the same conversation of, like, super popular songs. Even though it wasn't super popular yet, it would be very shortly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was, it was just kind of weird to see, like, not a... Not like a, I hate just like a B tier butt rock song, but like this is this right. is a heavy hitter. Right, good for them. They like got in early on something. I mean, yeah. and, um, <laughs> not not their forte. I remember the 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 video. I remember vividly. The video right is whenever it's like um with the buildings and stuff, and she's yeah. like standing. Yeah, okay, I remember that well. Yeah, that was heavy heavy rotation on MTV at this time. Um. MTV still still kind of playing music videos in 03, I would say, because I remember this one. Yeah, so good for them. So got my um on the next pod. Easy, easy editing. I already know what the closing song is going to be. Bring me to life. So, all right. So let's move on to the uh, the <laughs> the spike uh, beat down here. So we have three minute warning um, uh, featuring Rico, and they're going to be facing Spike in a three on one match, and um. So this match was, uh, they beat up Spike for like three minutes. Uh, they just kind of get their shit in. Uh, Samoan drops. They do the, uh, I don't know what you call it, when you put the guy in the corner and ram your ass into his face. They did that. They hit the big splash. And then to uh, for further insult, they let Rico win with the roll-up. But it was, um, yeah, I don't know. There's not a whole lot much more to say. It was just like them beating him up for three minutes. I didn't really even count it as a match. Um, 
I think it would maybe would be a bit cooler if three minute warning weren't kind of already a bit dead in the water. Like if they, you know, they felt like more of a big dominant heel team coming in to beat them up and yeah. And it, it maybe dragged a little bit too long, I would say, but, um, and I guess I'm just not like super invested in authority versus Dudley's that, that much. It's kind of like the, the morally tier of the authority thing. And so I'm not that into this. Um, I don't know. I could take it or leave it. It was just the beating up spike. Yeah. Um, it, you said three minutes. It felt like six minutes. It just kind of went on too mm-hmm. long. Um, poor Spike Dudley. Uh, when they go to uh, throw him up for like the pop-up Samoan drop, um, I can just tell by like the air he didn't get that he was done. Um, and he kind of like almost went... Uh, with his foot to like post on the mat first, which is extremely dangerous when you're taking a smell and drop. Uh, but like, that's the kind of stuff that people do when they're like, I really don't, don't want to take this bump. Uh, you try to, to break it up. Um, it usually does more harm than good, but uh, yeah, poor spike. I mean, he really took a beating. Um, I went one and a half on it, but yeah, much more of a, a segment than a match. Right. Yeah. Not a whole lot more to say. It's just, you know, Eric getting his revenge on the Dudleys, and we'll see see how much longer this angle plays out. I feel like it's kind of run on fumes at this point, Dudleys versus Authority. So I don't know if they're going to run it back going into the, the true mania push. We'll see. Um, and we haven't mentioned a whole lot, but on commentary throughout this entire show, like definitely the biggest thing that they're hyping is this JR versus Eric Bischoff match mm-hmm. by far. Like through every match, King's like, well, uh, so uh, Jr. What you gonna do? He's like, well, I don't know, King. I'm not a wrestler. I'm just gonna go in there and try and fight. Like, and I mean, <laughs> literally every match. That's what they're talking about. So it's it's heavily pushed. They started trying to hook the viewers in this week to get them to you know stay tuned in. Is with this Jr. Eric Bischoff uh, fight. So just wanted to mention that. Uh, but we get a big pop of pump backstage. He tells Terry that he's proved that he can be Triple H. And uh, for Triple H, there's going to be no way out. He's going to be the next world champion. But here's Booker T. And he says that tonight it's going to be about payback when they team together. So, I mean, I've said it throughout. The, it's definitely been building that they, like I said earlier, they're just so ready to move on from this pay-per-view and get into the mania build. I mean, it could not be more in the note. Like Steiner's literally cutting a promo and here's Booker T like intruding. And he's just like, hey, guess what? I'm going to be the next contender. So, like, why are we even going to wait to after the pay-per-view? Just let me cut a promo here because, like, we're so done with you, Steiner. Let's move on to Booker. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, like, him literally getting in the frame of Steiner's promo. So, uh, yeah, the Steiner's, he just feels so, like I said, you could just tell that they're so ready to move on. He just gives a real basic promo. Yeah, like, they kind of messed him up. Um shortly after his debut like there's no reason he ever should have been going more than 10 minutes um with triple h um you know that's already been covered plenty uh unfortunately you're gonna have to do a little bit more of that come no way out but um it felt like booker t is the meal that's been like home cooked and then you get this delivery item which is scott steiner and it's kind of hot but like you're excited about it because it's like delivery, it's new, but like you've also had like this home cooked meal that's like it's been like slowly simmering. Um and yeah, the connection for the fans, it just feels like Steiner got a pop, but Booker felt like 
mm-hmm. he had the better connection, if that makes sense. So, um, yeah, it's almost like two ships passing in the night. Right. And yeah, right. Like I said, they're just like, you know, let's not even wait till the Steiner match is done. Let's start getting Booker T in this now because, yeah, we're ready to move on. So, and we're going to see it in this next match because we're going to have Booker T teaming with Scott Steiner to face Evolution. In this case, Evolution is Triple H and Batista, of course, Orton and Flair on the outside. Um, we start with Booker, Booker and uh, Triple H. Nice Booker T fire as usual. Booker's one of my favorite guys as far as like just like his. Like his flurries of offense are always good. Like um, he's a little bit like I think sometimes could be like uh, like out of control in a good way, kind of like an out of control sloppy, but like in the best possible way. But uh, yeah, like big clubs from Big Papa Pump when he gets in, that's about the best thing he's got going for him right now. Um, Jarrah says that Steiner is derailed mentally by Flair and Evolution <laughs> working him down. Um, so I uh, and again, this is another one where I was like. I mean, I could see the crowd being a little tepid for this match, but I was legit asking if the crowd was mic'd. Like, I felt like I couldn't even hear. Like, even when the crowd's dead, you kind of hear the crowd murmur or something. Like, you just kind of hear this white noise. I felt like I couldn't even hear that. It was just completely silent. Um, we go to a sleeper hold, so things kind of grind down here. But finally, Booker T gets in. He brings his energy back, lays in the scissors kick. Things start to break down. Steiner starts laying the belly to bellies. And uh, Booker T actually hits the scissors kick on Triple H and pins him. And uh, quite a surprise here. So Booker ends up pinning the champ in this tag match and takes it for the faces. Um, again, I thought besides Booker, there wasn't a whole lot of energy to this. But um, it was totally fine. Like, it wasn't, like, offensive or anything. And again, could not be more obvious that they're ready to move on to Booker. It's the week. It's the go-home show for the pay-per-view. Steiner's of the match, and Booker T gets the shine and the big win here. Like, it definitely feels like the, I mean, the Steiner-Triple H match could not feel like more of a formality at this point. But uh, I, I went two on the match again. Fine. Booker was definitely the highlight for me. He had the most energy and the most, um, like, intensity of any of these guys. Yeah, Booker, um he looks really good here too. Uh, I made a note of that. Mm-hmm. Like, for, I just watched like SummerSlam 2001 randomly, and like he's he's really big there. Um, coming off like the closing of WCW, um, so I don't know if he thinned out a little bit. Um, and by a little bit, you know, probably 10 pounds or whatever. But like he's moving really well here, as opposed to even just like a year or two earlier. Um, yeah, he looks really fresh, explosive offense. Um, you know, poor Steiner. Um, you know the like I'm happy to see Scott Steiner because like he's not com- well he's not completely broken down as we'll see later yet. Um, but yeah, he's not he's not what he used to be. It, it's kind of tough to see. Um, and yeah, with like the you know evolution getting involved, um, they were like very quickly negated. So it's not evolution proper. Like that's gonna come later. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I thought you did, did a great job kind of talking about that a couple episodes ago. Um, yeah, they're not, they're not like anywhere close to their final form yet. Um, so like, I'm wondering with them attacking gold dust, um, Batista and, and Orton with them attacking gold dust and then Booker wanted to get revenge for what they did to gold dust. Were they setting up, uh, Batista and Orton versus gold dust and Booker for WrestleMania? But then also yeah. here they're also mm-hmm. heating up Booker and he gets the clean win over Triple H while also like negating uh, Orton and Batista and Flair. So like 
that's like, whoa, like <laughs> it seems like they're kind of booking for two things at one time, but you're not going to have Booker T go over clean on Triple H uh, if that's not what you're moving to uh, for WrestleMania. Right. Yeah. Like you definitely get the like Booker T's the next guy in line sort of thing in the last couple of weeks. Like, and it's kind of, I wouldn't say it's out of nowhere, but it's like, it's come, they're coming on pretty hot and heavy with it. And it's hard. It's just hard to imagine who it would be. Cause you know, you know, Steiner's done. They're not going back to that unless someone would like, you know, unless like, I think there's still the rumors here or whatever. Like it's in the, in the observers that like they're still trying to get Goldberg, but I, right. I don't think Triple H would have been their guy for Goldberg anyway. I think they wanted to do like Goldberg Austin or something like that. So yeah, I don't know who else it would be really, but it definitely seems like, I mean, that would make sense to do the tag match, but yeah, it's very, um, like I said, it's a, it's a quick 180. Like they've really turned the heat to Booker and kind of left Steiner in the dust here. Yeah. I went, um, a two and a half on it, but um yeah it's 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 sad uh you know just visually seeing steiner like they're done with him uh and we still have a pay-per-view to go yeah we'll see how it goes but um <laughs> well we'll move on to the the real main event of this show which is of course going to be eric bischoff the karate master versus good old jr um before the match starts we get eric coming down with chief morley morley holds some boards well he holds a board for him he breaks that to show his karate prowess and then he does like a roundhouse kick to a watermelon um, and says that that's going to be Steve Austin's head. Uh, so uh, coach, is, <laughs> coach comes in on commentary because JR is on the uh, – obviously at the match. And he is extremely impressed by uh, Eric's karate moves. He was like earnestly – he's like, I mean, look at this, King. I mean, this is – I mean, that's a watermelon. That's not easy to break. Coach was so um, sincerely impressed with the karate moves. Uh, that that kind of got me. But uh, JR comes in. He's full of piss and vinegar. Um, but Eric, at the last moment, makes the match no holes barred. Uh, JR gets in one shot on him, but then Morley comes in, starts kicking JR, beating him down. And they put a cinder block on JR's head. They break it over JR's head. <laughs> King has had an, King has had enough. He runs into the re- for, uh, for the rescue. He takes Morley out, but then eats a karate kick, and then they jump King. He kick, he kicked King right in his gut too, like right, right in his gut. And um, so they jump him. Jr's got the um, Jr's bleeding. Eric pins him. Uh, th- another thing about this, I thought. I mean, I know Coach is still kind of getting this thing, and maybe they're trying to play up like. You know, he's this new guy. He doesn't want to piss off Bischoff. But I almost thought Coach should be a little more upset here. Like, he's calling it pretty straight. He's like, man, look at this. JR's bleeding. <laughs> like, I feel like he should be, you know, more um, disturbed by this. But uh, then Eric mocks Stone Cold with the beer. He pours. And then we kind of um, close it with him mocking JR, pouring the beer on JR's face. And we kind of close just full-on chaos with Eric doing the, the full heel thing. But I didn't mind this. It was the To me, it was like the a right, right amount of ridiculousness um, with breaking the cinder block on JR's head. It was just like Eric doing like the most dastardly heel stuff. I think it puts, um, you know, it makes it where you really want to see Austin beat his ass at the pay-per-view. So um, yeah. And like we said, Eric is really good at this stuff. Like all his, you know, hamming it up the, the histrionics with the karate stuff. I think he played this up all really well. And honestly, this is, Raw's biggest draw is the Austin return, so it kind of made sense that they would close on this. So, you know, I didn't mind it for what they have, and um, yeah, the the image of Jr. bleeding is uh, is quite a scene. 
it's going to be a, a continuing trend through this era, like Jr. being used as a like a, yeah. uh, uh, a whipping boy. Yeah, you need some someone heated up. Um, just put him in the Jr. microwave. Um, <laughs> he, he gets the job done. Um, I was with it until the cinder block spot, which was just absolutely <laughs> right. ridiculous. Like he should be dead. <laughs> uh, Jr. You know, to his credit, Jr. selling was fantastic. I thought um, he did really well, but um, just the material they had to work with was was rough. Um, you know, King coming in, heating up uh, Morley with the three punches. You know, I'm a sucker for some Memphis right hands, so that got me going. But um, you know, to think you're going to keep down a former Intercontinental Champion uh, with three right hands and then turn your attention to Bischoff and then uh, get blasted from behind like that um, kind of made King look a little dumb. But um, yeah, more I, I Morley was the other thing that really stood out to me. Um, you can tell like he's really trying to make his uh, minutes count. Like all his punches looked really good. His stomps looked really good. Um, you can tell he's trying to. Um, make the most out of this um yeah that was that that was what i noticed um but i would have had bischoff up with the the stunner uh just go all the way and have him hit jr with a stone cold stunner uh to really really uh make everybody mad what a sight that would have been yeah i'm sure it would have been uh terrible but that kind (laughs) of adds heat to it like if he can't even do the stunner right but it wins like i think it's it's even better but um yeah, it's it's one of those things like I I didn't really want to like watch this, but I understood it's important to get to Austin and get to Bischoff. And I don't think the WWE, you know, strict audience really knows about Bischoff's you know legitimate karate background. So I get that they had to kind of, again, microwave that, like get everybody called up to the fact like Eric Bischoff actually does have a fair amount of like technique and experience with karate. And, you know, does he? pose a threat to stone cold you know maybe not but like can he possibly defend himself for a couple minutes <laughs> you know i guess maybe that's supposed to be the selling point but um yeah i'm ready to see bischoff get his at the pay-per-view right and and to their credit i mean i feel like this was maybe it was definitely one of the higher points as far as crowd reaction in the show like the crowd was awake for this um when for a lot of the show they've been completely dead so i'll give them that mm-hmm. but, yeah, but everyone's ready for Austin to get back. I think they've milked it as much as they can. They need to get him back and, and continue with it. But uh, but that wraps up Raw. Kind of a, a mess show. I mean, I'm kind of torn on it because it, I didn't feel like it really had anything that was really too good. But, like, and I like I kept saying throughout the show, like, it's, like, my biggest takeaway. I'm, like, they, on the Raw side, they're just ready to move past this and move on to Mania. Like, they're ready to move past Steiner. They want to get Austin back. Like, you can definitely feel the, like, in-between pay-per-view vibe from this. Yep. But they did put focus They did put focus on it. Um, and I did like the book elevation. It's kind of fun to see. But not a whole lot going on in this show. Like, nothing really to write home about match-wise. So I went a tad under average. I went, like, 4 out of 10. It was focused on the pay-per-view. But, again, it's kind of focused on a pay-per-view that I don't really feel like they're that into anyway. Yeah, I'm with you. I went uh, 4 out of 10 as well carried off of the uh two big tag matches at the end of the first hour and then uh you know towards the end of the night um i thought those two tag matches were 
you know, solid, if not unspectacular, but um, to really save it, I think, from being like close to like dud territory. But uh, yeah, I think four out of 10, they're clearly ready just to get to no way out. Uh, they seem out of ideas. They seem out of gas and they're just kind of pushing the car to uh, get to Montreal. Agreed. All right, so we will move on to SmackDown, your show, Marcus, and see um, what they oh, have boy. in store for us. So we're going to be from Indianapolis. This is going to be the February 20th, 03 um, SmackDown, and we come hot right out of the gate with the return of The Rock in person. He's been via satellite the past couple of weeks, but he is here. He's got his new look with the uh, the Brahma Bull belt buckle, the leather vest, and the leather pants here. Uh, he comes out, goes straight for his um, rock lines. He milks the finally, and then ends it with uh, "Who gives a crap about Indianapolis?" But he says, "No, no, not who. Uh, who gives a crap about you? But who gives a crap about what the Rock has to say?" So he's kind of trying to save <laughs> face with him. He says, "The crowd isn't feeling him. He's heard some boos. Everybody's in the Hogan. He's heard asshole chants. He's heard Hogan chants. But he's committed to the fans until his foot phone rings. He pulls that out. It's his personal assistant. Of course he's going to fly out tonight. He's not going to stay with these hicks. Hickory trees in Indianapolis. Not these hicks. There's too many hickory trees. Uh, uh, I love his uh, dismissiveness. of. Um, so the crowd starts doing the Rocky sucks. He goes, ah, yeah, Rocky sucks. Whatever. I don't care. Like He just he doesn't even respect them enough to like sell their um, them. Uh, trolling him he wants to know he wants the crowd to know though that there are ramifications of booing the great one uh if they want to think he sold out he's going to take out hogan at no way out and that's what he's going to do but really pushing that to the fans like you know if you want to turn on me just know you no longer get to say my catchphrases um you don't get to chant with me like you don't get to do all the cool stuff i do if you don't think i'm cool anymore like if you want to take the hogan side Take the Hogan side. I'm Hollywood Rock. I don't care. Don't chant with me. And kind of just like in a in the most rock way ever, just goes out there and it's like, okay, I'm turning heel, and just completely gets the fans to turn him heel and um, get some funny lines. It's engaged. It's long, but he keeps it pretty engaging. Like I said, just solidifying the heel turn and kind of building this intrigue for what this new rock character is going to be. Because you do see some, you're already seeing like some different caveats to it than what we've seen before in his normal heel character. So I enjoyed it. I mean, he just knows how to do this stuff, obviously. Um, so pretty good stuff. And um, I thought it was a nice little return for rock in the first intro uh, in person to this kind of new persona, not totally new persona, but this new presentation for rock. Man, this is what SmackDown is all about. On Raw, they talked about uh, Hollywood Hulk Hogan and The Rock are going to be on SmackDown. And no wasting time here on SmackDown. We're getting straight to the meat of the matter. We're getting to The Rock. The great one uh, makes his triumphant return to his show, The Rock Show, SmackDown. Uh, this was a fantastic way to, like... One, I guess, like reintroduce the Rock, as silly as that sounds. Um, but like we've seen him via satellite, uh, infamously, and now we're seeing him in person. But he has to establish this new Hollywood Rock character. Um, yeah, it was just perfect. Uh, kind of teasing the audience along, uh, kind of making them <laughs> feel stupid um, by thinking that he thinks they're that stupid. Um, it, it was perfect. Uh, nice. Nice throwback with the flip phone, um, cutting edge of technology at the time. Uh, and, and he said he'll be back, uh, you know, to challenge Hogan uh, to, or to confront Hogan. So 
uh, gave me something to look forward to later as well. So this was really good, and it did run long, but like not as long as um, definitely nowhere, nowhere close to a flamethrower WrestleMania 32 rock. Right. And I think what helps too is like he's constantly engaging with the crowd. Like he's not going out there. I mean, like obviously he knows what he's trying to do when he gets out there, but it's not like he's talking, like just goes out there and delivers his promo. Like he kind of feeds off the crowd and kind of plays it out. Like when they say Rocky sucks, like I said, he, um, he kind of dismisses, oh yeah, sure. You want to say I suck. I don't care. Like he's constantly playing off them to kind of keep them involved and it kind of gives it like an energy that, you know, maybe when we see other guys go out there and give a promo this long to open a show, why it drags so much is because they Mm -hmm. don't know, they don't quite have that ability to kind of keep the energy and play off the crowd as much as he does. I mean, yeah, that's why he's a rock. So, but we'll see him later. Um, Definitely. They were going to get all, all that they could out of this rock appearance, put it that way. Cause he's going to, he's going to take up a, a pretty decent portion of this show. So we'll get back to him. Uh, but we'll go to our first match, which is going to be the A-Train versus Chris Benoit. Um, uh, so A-Train comes in like a house of fire. I, these guys um, had a match, I want to say, not a couple weeks ago on SmackDown. And this kind of went in a similar way, but I kind of like the way these two guys work together. You have A-Train who's hitting all these big power moves that look pretty good. He hit like a, um, almost looked like a muscle buster looking move that looked pretty yeah. cool. But uh, yeah, Benoit counters um, in kind of works them in their cross face, which is kind of the story when these two guys, these guys work is like, um, you know, a train's hitting the power moves and Benoit's just constantly trying to twist them into the cross face. So he does that. A train gets out. Benoit finally ro- gets into his rolling German and then kind of works that into a surprise roll up. And, uh, it ends pretty quickly. So they kind of go with the flash pin as the finish, but, uh, for how short it was, I, I went two stars on. It. I still think it was pretty entertaining for what they did. I thought a train looked pretty solid as like a big guy. And Benoit made his moves look devastating. Um, I dug that muscle buster and I kind of like Benoit using his, you know, just kind of his grit to work the big guy down and, um, kind of using some, um, like using his technique to kind of win with the flash pin. I kind of like when they throw in a different finish every now and then. So two stars for me. Yeah, good uh, flash pin will keep everybody honest uh, without really telegraphing it. Like this is the finish. It felt unnatural. It felt like um, an abrupt ending. And I, I think that, you know, helps SmackDown um, just not feel so robotic. Uh, we're getting the same uh, three-act structure uh, from match to match, which is pretty much what we saw in Raw uh, for every match. So um two and a half for me even though it was short um it was it was mm-hmm. all big moves and they told a you know a solid story for the time that they had uh benoit the technician a train the big power guy um and in the end the you know the matt wrestler uh one with the wrestling move so uh, nothing wrong with that for me solid tv two and a half i gotta say i've been pleasantly surprised by a train i've kind of have it i've been sort of into him in the in this role that they have him in i think he works well in this role yeah you know some people would say that you know this smackdown is all about uh hollywood rock which a lot of people would say is the best incarnation of the rock but we're also experiencing the best incarnation of the a-train albert (laughs) right (laughs) of course the uh (laughs) no lie as told. All right. All right. So we find out that Hogan is here and we also find that Funaki is trying to get an interview with the rock, but he can't because the security guards are not with him. And so just, again, still building this whole that rock. I mean, not that rock was ever, ever a humble guy, but 
just that he's he's upped it a bit with his new uh, Hollywood persona. But we go to our next match here as we continue down on the uh, on the undercard here. It's going to be Rikishi who's got himself uh, in a little conflict with the, I don't know if they've really said who they are yet. I think they've called themselves like the family thus far, but uh, he's going to be facing uh, Johnny Stamboli here. Uh, and this is uh, in the early parts of Stamboli showcase. He's uh, going after a Kishi kind of using some power offense, but Kish comes back um, like, uh, Oh yeah. Stamboli hit that uh, spinning uh, leg drop off the top. That looked pretty Pretty good, but uh, Big Quiche, as he does, makes his comeback and hits a Samoan drop, side kick, and drops Mr. Stamboli for the win. So can't, you're not going to beat Rikishi that easy here on SmackDown, Mr. Stamboli. It's going to take a little bit. He is the gatekeeper, and you got to earn your stripes. But I end up going to start real quick. Uh, basic match, just kind of um, the crew comes out. They jump Rikishi, and uh, as Taz says, it's a good old-fashioned beatdown. So kind of just keeps the stuff simmering. Rikishi gets the win, but the uh, – the uh, the family gets one up on Rikishi after, so just kind of pushing this little undercard story along. Yeah, it's cool to see Johnny the Bull get some shine. Uh, I remember he was a, a standout of like 2000 WCW uh, with the hardcore title. Uh, it seemed like he was always doing something cool on like Nitro or Thunder. So it's cool to see him get some play here on SmackDown. Of course, Rikishi is the gatekeeper to the you know the mid card. Uh, so he's always kind of like quasi protected still, but, uh, Johnny the bull, this is where he hits that awesome military press. Um, I had to rewind it and watch it. It was just super impressive. Uh, getting, of course, Rikishi's a great athlete. Um, but like still that is a ton of weight, uh, to be able to get it up over your head and controlled and locked. Um, Cole even tried saying like, Oh, his knees buckled. Like the dude's got f- 450 450- pounds over his head like <laughs> and i went back and watched him like his knees really didn't buckle he had everything locked out um that was competition form so um you know in- insane feat of strength by johnny the bull um i for that reason uh went to on it just um you know i thought they really maximized their time for what they had uh, at least for johnny the bull uh getting that leg drop in and and getting the press in yep enjoy it up all right, we had the team angle. They're uh, hyping each other up, practicing some lockups, uh, doing what you expect some uh, amateur wrestlers to do. Just Angle getting his boy, uh, Angle's boys getting uh, him hyped up for his match later against Brock, That um, the big showdown with Brock. So I really dug this whole team angle dynamic, the whole like angles sort of the, like kind of, he's like a player coach almost with these guys, like like um like showing them the way of the angle sort of and um I, I like this little dynamic that they have going with them. Yeah, I have a note here. Um mm-hmm. did WWE ever monetize those uh team angle tracksuits? Oh, I don't know, but that'd have been some I mean I know yeah, yeah, no, and I know the, the quality you're talking, you know, dropping a pretty penny on some team team angle tracksuits, but uh I know I probably would have copped one back in the day. I mean, those bad boys look sharp. Um, but yeah, Team Angle just as a whole, it's so different from anything else that's really going on. Um, I know we have uh, Evolution 1.0 kind of going on on Raw, but um, Team Angle just feels so different. Um, it feels ahead of its time in a way, but also like mm-hmm. right on time, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, we're just seeing a, like a different, a different level of athlete and getting the 
the the amateur wrestling, the the technique and all that good stuff, like getting that back incorporated uh, on SmackDown uh, into the in-ring product has just really freshened things up. So uh, love Team Angle, and I like the little backstage uh, backstage piece of business. Yeah, it's a good point. It's like they're like the perfect mix of like using the amateur stuff, but still making it like professional wrestling. They yeah. like balance it so well with those guys. It's really well done. Um, we'll see them a bit later, but we um we get so this is something we don't get much over, but like a um this felt very old school. We get a vignette with the Guerreros. They're in the Burbs. It does like a I don't know, like an intro to like a sitcom or something, like a <laughs> old sitcom intro. Felt very much like something. I mean, it almost had like a Tuesday Night Titans like vignette vibe to it or something, or like an old. You know, like the Mr. Perfect things. But they're in the burbs. They believe a random woman is Pamela Anderson. She has a baby. They compliment her baby. Um, she leaves, and they end up calling it ugly as soon as she leaves. And then we find out that they stole the baby's bottle. I think they stole the uh, the lady's wallet or something or purse. And uh, they kind of laugh and walk off. And they lie, cheat, and steal. But I love this. I kind of love that they went with the, uh, the old school vignette thing. It was kind of ridiculous, but in a fun way and Eddie and Chavo are so fun here. Um, I don't know. It just kind of came out of nowhere and I was, it was just something different and I enjoyed it. Yeah. I have in my notes. It reminded me of the, uh, dusty roads, primetime wrestling, um, yes. <laughs> vignettes like right up that alley. Uh, this one is super entertaining. I, I love all of them. Um, and it's a really good way to like add some, um, you know, character depth to Chavo um, you know, Eddie doesn't need it, but, uh, of course he excels in, you know, all things sports entertainment, I believe. Uh, so this really helps them both as a unit. And, um, it's done in a way where like <laughs> you're stealing from a baby and, and a mom, like that's pretty, uh, pretty deplorable, but it's so entertaining, right. uh, and over the top that you can't help but to love it. Right. It's like, man, it's like. Like, Eddie's character, so, like, who would have thought when you were watching Eddie in, like, mid-90s WCW that he had so much, like, that this was in there? Like, he just has such a natural charisma. He's so good. Love him. Um, But, all right, so we will keep going. We're going to have a a tag match here. It's going to be Matt and his, um, again, his mentee, Shannon. They're going to be facing Rey Mysterio and Kidman here. Um we uh our matt fact is that matt is miserable when dining so we can all relate to matt here Mm -hmm. um and he is at 221.5 pounds here so he is uh he's trying to make it so he strips naked he hops back on the scale and he is at 220 so he has made weight for his big match for the um for the cruiserweight title at the pay-per-view uh we get into the match like i'm not gonna try and go move for move with this one it was crispy Tons of nice counters, went at an awesome pace. Rey Mysterio is just on a ridiculous level here. Like, just how smooth he is, the way he works in all these crazy moves. It makes it feel natural. And, like, you, I feel like anytime he's doing this, I never see the strings. Or, like, if you can see it, I'm not adept enough to, like, I can't tell. Like, just he, may, he makes everything flow so well. Um, and so they just go back and forth with this just good tag stuff until Matt finally steals it with the twist of fate on Kidman. As things break down the chaos again, I, I'm probably underselling the match as far as like how I'm breaking it down, but it would be a tough match to go through and like just nail all the moves because they were just firing at a furious pace here. And these are all guys who can go. Um, and again, Ray is just 
every time I watch Ray in this era, he is just, I mean, it's just absolutely absurd what this guy's doing. But I ended up going two and a half on it. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, a little bit higher for me, two and three quarters. Uh, it, it felt like a like the WCW Cruiserweight Tag Division. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt like a you know more grown up version of um, of that. Um, I, I liked the little um, uh, piece of business with Matt Hardy trying to make weight. I thought that was excellent. I almost wish it would have been a live segment, but uh, you know maybe it came off better being a pre tape, uh, was just a lot quicker. But um, still, I think would have made a pretty good live segment. Um, but yeah, man, Kidman and Ray, um, just two awesome hands to have on SmackDown. Um, kind of a luxury of riches for SmackDown. Uh, and they don't, you know, they don't really spoil their, their riches. Like SmackDown uses their dudes and they they just book everybody to, to get the best and get the most out of them and uh, make everybody shine. And um, yeah, kind of... Um, Really looking forward to seeing Matt Hardy versus uh, Billy Kidman, which is not something I probably would have thought. Um, but, like, yeah, I think those two, um, I definitely want to see their match at No Way Out because uh, I think they can put together uh, something pretty good. Right. I think Matt's a good guy to put in this position with the cruise rates because, like, he's not really going to do that, but I feel like he knows how to do that style and he's, like, a good base for that sort of stuff and can, like, hit the spots and everything. So. Yep. And uh, the character stuff is fun with the the making weight thing. So good stuff. So, um, you know, it's like, I mean, I feel like I say it, it's like beating a dead horse, but just it's these kind of matches that you don't see on Raw. Like just good, like seven to ten minute, a bunch of guys who can go. There's a storyline attached to it, but you get a good match. It pushes along a storyline. Right. It moves in at a quick pace, keeps things going, and you just roll on. Uh, but... We now head to uh, Mr. Nathan Jones, who is going to give us his first interview. Um, <laughs> and so, so he, he starts off. He's very babyface. Like he's he's like, you know, I've come here. I spent a lot of time in prison, and I just want to come here to be an athlete. And uh, obviously, my goal is to get the. I'm not doing an Australian accent because it'd be terrible. But he says like, uh, you know, I'm trying to get the uh, the WWE title. But then he gets like really intense. And then he like grabs Michael Cole by the throat. And he says, and I'm going to do it by going after the biggest dog in the yard. And uh, then he says something about, and so I'd message you knowing that we're going to talk about this. And <laughs> then he says something about like the, the clock is ticking. And then he says, tick tock, tick tock. And so in current day wrestling, um, uh, Mr. Karrion Cross does the same sort of thing. And at this point, I could not help but see the parallels between Nathan Jones and uh, Karrion Cross. Two guys that they kind of push as these uh, like badasses, but then the bell rings and they're just, you know, not, not super uh, good in the ring. And so I was like, man, is Karrion Cross just like the second coming of Nathan Jones? I don't know. But <laughs> uh, spot on 10 out of 10 player comp. By you tip of the cap um <laughs> i i audibly uh gagged uh when you said that by way um yeah you turned that was like 2005 albert pool holes uh hanging curveball like you just turned <laughs> on it and sent it 754 uh 754 feet like you just nailed that one um i, I of course agree with that comparison um you know, eight by ten world champion, um, but then the bell rings. So, um, wasn't 
didn't they say he went to prison for like robbery? Yeah, like was he that committed it? like seven armed robberies or something? He's the the um what is it the something of Buggert Road? Yeah, yeah, the the Colossus of Buggert Road. Yes. Colossus uh, of Buggert Road. Yeah, of course. Put another shrimp on the bobby, mate. But <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, so why did he? So he's a robber. He's not necessarily like um, an, an assaulter. Like he's not necessarily I, like. Uh, sure, he's like a yeah, like I killed a, the man. I, like he's not like I killed the man with my bare hands. Or right. Like, like give him that push if he's gonna start like choking people mid-interview and like being that. Like if anything, he's like a jacked-up version of the Repo Man. Like go down that road where like he likes to steal stuff, not like. <laughs> hey, like I'm still mad from prison, and I want to choke people with my bare hands. Like that, those two things don't add up. But that's why the player comparison is uh, spot on. A lot of things just don't add up. It's the TikTok is what got me. When he said TikTok, <laughs> I was like, wait a second, <laughs> wait a second. The TikTok, tick is for alive. Uh, the talk is for dead, or something, something like that. Right. Yeah, something that's supposed to sound menacing but means absolutely nothing. Yeah. Um, and I think this is such a tough thing to pull off because like in the actual interview, like I don't, he felt like somebody was trying to act like he's like this intense madman as opposed to me. Like, like I didn't completely buy it from him. And I mean, to its credit, I feel like it's a hard thing to pull off. Like you really have to go full into it. And so, you know, I think it is a hard thing to pull off, but I didn't completely buy it when he was like choking Michael Cole or whatever. Like I wasn't feeling like I really thought thought he was crazy no so that doesn't help but yeah so he's um nathan jones will continue the saga but uh speaking of the biggest dog in the yard taker comes out and uh this week he's got two boxes as um over the past month he's been getting all these gifts from paul Heyman. so he goes to open these one is a a little dog that comes out and so taker pets the dog and uh uh lets it go then he goes to open the other one and he realized that it's empty but it causes a distraction so big show in his black jeans could come up behind him and attack him and um i mean i guess it pays off this whole thing because they've been baiting taker the whole month and i guess it finally caught up to him because big show's able to attack him my issue is that the attack was kind of i mean he didn't really hurt him that bad he laid in a few punches or whatever but I mean, considering he put Taker on the shelf by throwing him off the stage, I mean, if the whole point was to to lead Taker this moment into a trap where they could attack him, it wasn't the most, like, brutal attack that you're going to get. Like, it didn't make me think Taker's in an injury at no way out, like he's going to be injured or something. Yep, I put the same exact thing. Um, all this, like a month of boxes or whatever, like, just to get to a, a so-so sneak attack by the big show, like... That's it. And like he's the big show. Why does he have to do a sneak attack? Like, you know, I don't I don't understand why they've got uh Big Show trying to play like Memphis Heel here, like <laughs> running away from Undertaker. It just didn't make any sense to me. But I do appreciate the effort they put into this feud because Big Show and Undertaker is anything but a fresh matchup. Um but by giving it like, you know, the boxes and stuff like that and um getting Heyman involved and and everything else like it it did it did at least like make this matchup or this version of the feud a little bit different from all the other matches that we've had right 
maybe maybe put Big Show in the in the in the box, and then he like grabs him and like throw Taker through the box. So at least you have some kind of visual that's kind of cool. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It was it was like Big Show hitting probably like what's going to be one fourth of his offense in the match coming up. Like if when Big Show does that in the match <laughs> at the pay per view, Undertaker's going to sell it for like one second and get up. So <laughs> it's like is it really doing that much? So no. Yeah. Anyway, so we'll move on, but. I guess they're focusing on the pay-per-view, so give them that. All right. We then um, – and we also see, <laughs> to your point, like he's playing chicken shit. He only jets off at his limo, like immediately. Again, the 500-pound monster giant <laughs> is running in fear. So, odd look. Um, but we are now go to our um, obligatory Divas match on SmackDown. Uh, Divas gimmick match, and this is going to be a paddle on a pole match between Tori and Nidia. Uh uh, they start off, you get lots of stomps, lots of elbows. Uh, Dawn even comes out uh, <laughs> just because she's on the apron. She distracts, uh, which allows Jamie Noble to come in and hit a scoop slam on uh, Tori, uh, which allows Nidia to climb up there and win. She starts whooping on her, and <laughs> Funaki makes the save, which is kind of random. Like, I thought it would maybe be Kidman, who I believe is still in her boyfriend or whatever, but instead Funaki comes out. Yeah. Uh, maybe he's going to fight Noble, but uh, then Noble pops his head. Uh, Noble comes in. Funaki throws him out. I thought Jamie Noble took a pretty sick bump on his head. He had a nice little uh, whack on his head there. But uh, Taz says, uh, <laughs> so this is probably the highlight for me, was um, Cole makes some comment. Like, throughout this whole thing, Michael Cole has been really awkwardly talking about girls going wild. Like, it sounds so unnatural and weird. But he says something like, yeah, she doesn't want to get all those bruises for the girls going wild video. And Taz just says, Cole, you're a whack job. <laughs> <laughs> like, basically calls him a creep. But, uh, uh, but yeah, so they kind of give Tori a, a chance to uh, like things keep rolling this is all about tori like she's the key lady on smackdown they focus on her get sympathy on her um but anyway i ended up going i guess for the whole package like a star and a half it was entertaining um funaki coming out randomly kind of popped me yeah i didn't really have any in-depth notes about this one um <laughs> right I, I will say at least like i thought the in-ring work with uh nitty and, and tori was like pretty decent um mm-hmm. So, like, it, again, it's going to take them a, a long time uh, to know how to, you know, finally commit to presenting uh, the women. But uh, I thought the in-ring work definitely was not business exposing. Like, it it was, you know, it was okay. So, mm-hmm. um, and I'm always here for uh, Funaki getting some, uh, getting some shine. So, uh, you know, weird that Kidman's not out here, but uh, I'm all right with Funaki. But, like, you have a locker room full of, like, 20 or 30 dudes, like... None of them are rushing to Tory Wilson's aid, um, you know. Right. Of course, with no ulterior motive whatsoever, uh, just looking to be a good friend. But um, yeah, I guess Funaki was a uh, first in line. Yeah, this is just our SmackDown. Get the ladies out there and with uh, some kind of gimmick match. Seem to do it every week. But, uh, all right, we'll move on. We have the big Rock Hogan stare down here, the uh, big confrontation. They come out, and that's what they do for a good, like, four minutes. They do a stare down, lock eyes. The crowd is electric. Um, Rock stalls with some water at one point. So, again, just throwing in all these little kind of, you know, that he's a big shot. Uh, But he says that Hogan's entire resurgence is because of him. And so Hogan should apologize. Hogan says, hell no. The fans are the ones that brought him back. 
and I really like throughout this the little detail of Rock is like super jumpy and kind of nervous, like pacing around the ring. Like just kind of shows that maybe there is a little bit of him that's like like he knows the crowd's not with him anymore and he's so used to kind of having the crowd on his side that maybe he's a little nervous or mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe he's on cocaine. Who knows? Could be that. But uh <laughs> but uh he gets serious at the end and says that on uh at the pay-per-view at no way out they will tear the house down he goes for the handshake but then spits in hogan's face on the way out and kind of jumps out so um good face off you know i think these two guys just being who they are kind of does a lot of the work for you and it's good that they were able to fit in one in-person confrontation for this match which really hasn't had that much of a build they're just kind of going off of hey remember wrestlemania 18 we're doing that again um, but I, I feel like the whole point of this is to build rocks, this heel persona, like, and just throw in all, all these things that even maybe like the last time we saw heel rock, he probably wouldn't have like spit in someone's face and jumped out the ring that he's just a little bit more kind of, um, uh, like, I don't know, like slimy, I guess is the way of putting it. But, uh, yeah, he was real good here. Hogan is kind of, seems a bit out of his, like the, uh, what is it? Rocka jabroni sounds corny. Yeah. Like it's kind of lame. So he's kind of out of his, you know, he's got the crowd with him, but he really can't hang with rock at this point on the mic. So that's a little weird, but it's just to get them face to face before the pay-per-view. Yeah. And I think there's been like a fair amount of like, um, what do you want to call it? Like psychology or forethought uh, into this feud with like letting rock carry uh, the lion's share of the work with the, the promo stuff, because Rock's trying to get this new character over. Um, not that he really has to try, but uh, you know we're getting a, a new version of the character over. Uh, so Rock needs time for that. But also Hogan is, you know, aged out, out of his league. Um, it just he's going to look goofy if he's trying to go, you know, word for word with this version of the Rock. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's best to like keep his dialogue, you know, pretty straightforward. Um, but also, like, the fans do want to hear the what you're going to do and all that other stuff from Hogan. And so when Rock gets Hogan off course from that, that's Rock taking away something the audience wants to see. So that's Rock getting heat. So, like, this was really well done. And I thought the spit um, was just such a douchebag touch. Like, mm-hmm. that's something they don't – I don't think they really do a lot. Um, and it really counted. Um, <laughs> it was pretty despicable. So, um, long – but this match hasn't had like an in-ring confrontation yet to really sell the match. Um, so, and it's Hogan and Rock. Like that's what the show's been mm-hmm. all about. That's why the you know the place is sold out. So, understand giving them some time. But good stuff here. Great. I thought this bit was well done. Like because it's again, it kind of pushes this little that it's a different Rock. Because even when Rock was a heel before. That's not really something he'll rock. He'll rock was all about like being cocky, like he's the man. And this is more kind of like they're really pushing that he's like this Hollywood kind of scumbag now that would do like some douchebag stuff. So I dug that too. Um, but we get into the uh, the No Way Out card rundown. Um, an interesting one, a few kind of you know, interesting ones they're doing the uh, SmackDown, obviously the big match besides Hogan and Rock is the big uh, six-man tag, which I'm always a um, – well, I don't I don't know if they end up doing the six-man, but it was at one point. It may end up changing, but I kind of always like that, the little in-between show 
like putting all the big names in there, like the uh, international incident style tag. I'm kind of a sucker for those. I'm kind of into that, but it um it's a a decent uh, I think card for a, a February pay per view. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just run down this card. Like it was like, oh wow! Like this is <laughs> above and beyond what we would normally get for a February pay per view. Um, you know, if you would have told me this is a SummerSlam, I would have believed you. Like this is a really big card. Lots of all the stars are here. Uh, <laughs> to borrow a phrase from Norm McDonald, but the actual stars: um, right. Hogan, Rock, <laughs> Undertaker, Triple H, um, Stone Cold Steve Austin coming back. So you got all the heavy players are here. All the heavy hitters are here. Um, of course, bring me to life as we talked about, uh, you know, backing that sound. So, um, yeah, this was, this was a good trip down memory lane and, uh, I'm looking forward to watching the pay-per-view. Yep. All right. We get an update from John Cena. He's in a wheelchair after Lesnar wrecked his leg. Um, he says now he is obsessed with Brock and, um, he kind of cuts a rap, kind of hits his, a few of the same things he's been saying about Brock. Um, thesis is that Brock is stupid. Uh, like kind of play him as a, a big, uh, like a Neanderthal. But I do think the rap thing helps at his promos because it makes you sort of pay attention to his main points because you want to see like, how's he going to work it into a rap? So I think like if I just had Cena cutting a normal promo, maybe saying how Brock's an idiot, I would maybe, and like hitting generic lines about him, I would maybe check out a little bit, but because he's rapping, it kind of makes you pay attention to what he has to say. So I think it works in, in that way. And you definitely see them starting to elevate Cena. I mean, they're, they're putting them um, like he has his sights on Brock, who's obviously like a top guy at this point. So you could kind of start to see them wanting to put Cena in a bigger role. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Cause we'll, you'll definitely chart uh, what Cena is going to be doing as we approach WrestleMania. Um, but he's got a fair amount of buzz. If I remember right during this time, um, felt kind of special. So, um, I like that they're just kind of keeping him cooking on the back burner right now. Um, as we head into quote unquote WrestleMania season. And, uh, it really looks like he's going to be in for something big, um, after WrestleMania, like he may have missed his call to the dance this time, but, uh, he seems primed for, um, you know, a, a big next season. All right, so we move into our uh, our main event, which we presume is going to be Angle versus Lesnar, which is a lot of hype for their first uh, you know big confrontation. Kurt says that he never said what the stipulation would be, agreed to the match, and he says that um, if Brock wants to face him, he is first going to have to beat Shelton. Before he can face Shelton, he's going to have to face Haas. So um, I, I like the um, kind of the subtle reaction of Shelton and Haas. Like they seem a little bit nervous, but at the same time, they're like confident, like angles hyped them up and like juiced them up enough where they think they can handle Brock. Like uh, so like they seem pretty confident if they are a little nervous to go in there with like a monster. So I kind of like that touch of it. Uh, so we, we start off with uh, Brock versus Haas. The um, the impact on Brock's like strikes and clotheslines is just ridiculous. Like he just looks like such a monster, but uh, Haas gets a few headlocks in, but this part is all Brock. Like Haas does not stand much of a chance. Brock just kind of beats the hollow F fives them and kind of wins this first part. But uh, before we continue, any thoughts on the, um, on just kind of the setup for this in this first portion of this Marcus, it was a pretty good okie doke. Um, they teased uh, or previewed Angle and Lesnar all night, and I was like, oh, my gosh, like, are they really going to throw this out there? And I forgot that there was the old uh, bait and switch. Uh, but the way it was done, 
uh, I thought was done really well. And it was, you know, nice to see Haas kind of get the first crack at Lesnar. But uh, Lesnar really does just, you know, he gives him a little bit. Um, but it's all about, you know, Lesnar really just mowing through Haas and, and getting to Shelton. Right. And so the uh, the Shelton part of this is a, a bit more competitive. Shelton's got a little bit more. Um, I love Heyman, like, hyping him up, saying he was your roommate, like, trying to show him that Brock's not really, you know, on another level from him. So that was good. Um, nice delayed vertical by Brock. I'm always a sucker for a, a delayed vertical suplex. Uh, Shelton was working the arm, so trying to use his um, – you know, his Matt technique to uh, wear down the big monster. He locks in. Uh, I thought his arm submissions looked real good, uh, nice and snug. Brock finally powers out, slams him, um, hits him with a belly-to-belly. It just says insane launch. Shelton just flies on it. Um, and uh, Brock, kind of sh- to show off to Angle, ends up beating Shelton with the uh, Angle slam. So a bit more competitive, but Brock kind of um, takes out Shelton. And then we go to the um, the Angle portion. Angle is pissed. He's kind of hesitant. He doesn't want to go in there with Brock. He kind of slowly gets up on the apron. And as he's doing that, Heyman runs from behind, hits a chair shot on Brock. Brock kind of no-sells it. Things break down. Brock ends up with Heyman after he neutralizes Angle. Um, he's ghost staff by Heyman, but uh, Angle saves him at the last possible second. Team Angle then pounce, and then uh, Edge and Benoit come in to make the save and send Team Angle uh, uh, running away. So... Um, so one question I had here, did you think, so obviously we said, so Shelton was a bit more competitive. Did it, did you feel like it made, uh, like Haas and Benjamin look a little bit, do you feel that this made them look weak at all or they okay? Man, it's, it's tough. Cause, um, like, yeah, yes and no. Like Lesnar mm. is such a unstoppable force that like. You know, how does anybody really look bad selling for Brock Lesnar? Um, but at the same time, like, they had pretty good outings not too long ago against Benoit and Edge on SmackDown. Um, so it's like almost like a one step forward, two steps back kind of uh, scenario. But, like, this is their role. This is why you have a group surrounding a champion to, to do stuff like this. Um, but I think if you're going to have a group like this, it's – it's really hard to have them be both, um, both like not I don't say competent, but like both like legitimate threats to other main event players, but then run out later and then be like almost totally useless. It's almost like the Usos now. Um, the Usos are like a threat; they can be anybody on the roster, um, almost individually or together. But then Brock Lesnar gets thrown in there, and you know they they can't mount any any form of offense against him for more than thirty seconds. So um, maybe it's just a Brock thing because he's the common denominator there, right? And I feel like that it's almost like what they've tried to do is avoid this, like presenting them as like the lackeys. But it's yeah. like this is the one situation where they're like, oh shit, we kind of need to, them to be lackeys tonight, you know? So it's like they kind of just have to in this one situation like maybe drop down a peg. And I think that's probably the better way to do it. Cause I think you get more mileage out of them being legit contenders. And then, you know, if you do need them for something like this, you could, like you said, you can kind of just chalk it up to, well, it's Brock. So, and Brock is like super pissed off right now. So maybe it's a little more intense, but yeah, it is a little weird. Cause it's, it's like, 
a double-edged sword that they're kind of working with here because they bet they have been built up so well, but I do think it is a good angle. Um, no pun intended here, like having them come out. And I think what helps it though, is that it helps with the bait and switch part, but because Haas and Benjamin haven't been presented as like these flunkies that these two matches kind of, kind of dull the blow. If you're, you know, if you were upset that you're not getting angle Lesnar, you know, Brock versus Haas and Ben, uh, yeah, Haas and Benjamin is kind of like a cool matchup to see, so you're not maybe as upset. Um, but I, I do think it was the right decision. I do think Angle and Brock should be saved for the big stage, and um, it does give you, like, your hard sell for your tag match at the pay-per-view. So, like, I ended up going for this whole thing. I sort of just rated as an entire package and just went three stars on it. I thought it was well done. Like you said, it's as far as, like, a bait-and-switch goes, I think it works with this, especially knowing you have Heyman, who's always kind of um, good for something like this to kind of – double cross them. So I, I thought the whole package was pretty good to build everything they have going here. Yeah. And at least um, like Brock mode through Haas, but then it took him a while to get through Shelton. So like there was some like progression there. It's not like he just ate both of them up. Like it was like, okay, Brock can do one match, but then the second match, like, you know, it's not like he's just Superman um, and doesn't have like an endurance bar. Um, so he was, you know, at least vulnerable there. Uh, so I'm with you. I went three as well for the entire package. Very good. But that uh, wraps us up as our uh, kind of our final sell for uh, No Way Out. And before we leave that match, the last thing you mentioned are the jumpsuits on the entrance. I mean, Team Angle just looked, they're so locked in with each other. They have the unified look. It looks kind of underrated sort of yeah. presentation, those guys. I feel like it's kind of forgotten how good that is, but... Uh, SmackDown overall, I thought maybe the undercard wasn't quite as rocking as it usually is on some of these shows, but I think Rock, Brock, and Angle kind of added all the juice you needed here. It was definitely heavily focused on the Rock, and then they kind of focused on the Brock and Angle stuff, so that kind of made up for maybe not having as good of an undercard as SmackDown usually has. So I kind of went down the middle. I went 5 out of 10. I thought this was a solid show to uh, push to the pay-per-view. Yeah, I was a tick higher. I went six just because the the non-in-ring action we did get was all memorable. Like the Rock Hogan promo mm-hmm. with the, the spit at the end, like that's extremely memorable. Um, Matt Hardy making weight is very memorable. The Los Guerreros stealing from a baby vignette is very memorable. Um, so I, I thought that, you know, while unspectacular in the ring, um, it was still really solid all throughout. Plus, just really memorable, um, memorable stuff and memorable angles and and promos to get us to the pay per view. So six out of ten for me. Mm-hmm. I get you. And SmackDown always moves at a good pace too. I was oh my sure. gosh, yeah, yeah. It before moves. I knew it, I was halfway through the show. Right, always nice after you watch the Raw. That can sometimes <laughs> feel like it drags forever. Um, but we will move on to our awards here after SmackDown. So best match, I think I'm going to go with Storm RVD just because I felt like it's tough to give it to the that last segment we talked to we talked about because it's sort of like two matches in one and more of an angle side. So went with the the best pure match, which I thought was Storm RVD. Yep, I'm with you, uh, Storm RVD for me. Um, best moment i just went with like the rock's return like rock showing back up in person with the new look and sort of the new persona yep uh best show i think based on our ratings we're both going smackdown absolutely yep uh lvp uh 
you know, I, I feel bad for him because I don't think it's totally his fault, but I feel like it's got to be Steiner. He just seems like such an afterthought. Yeah, I almost went Al Snow, but it's not like they're <laughs> investing like time into him. So, yeah, it's got to be Scott Steiner. Uh, we're locked up so far. Um, MVP, I feel like you have a few candidates here, but I went with Rock just because he kind of owns SmackDown. He just injected like a huge amount of star power into that. Absolutely. Without question. Got to be the rock. All right. So we're rocking and rolling. Um, some standouts, my top five, definitely Brock. Um, he's just a beast booker for sure for how he's kind of being elevated on raw angle is always great. I actually gave it to Eric because, um, I thought he did well in his, you know, on his little rampage he did on raw. And I try and give something from raw cause there's not always a lot. And, I just went with Ray because I don't know. Every time I watch these on, every time I watch SmackDown, when Ray comes out, he just impresses the hell out of me. Yeah. Um, for me, Brock, Rock, Angle, Booker, and RVD. RVD is a good one. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, that is it. So uh, next time I will be at No Way Out. Uh, thanks for coming on, Marcus. I hope you had a good time. Would you like to tell us? I, I kind of mentioned it up top, but would you like to tell us what you have going on here on the North South Connection? Yeah, uh, you can catch me every other Saturday with JT as we do WWE War. We take an analytically uh, analytically inspired look at WWE by seasons. So it starts with the first pay per view after WrestleMania, uh, and we end with WrestleMania as the end of the season. And uh, we take a whole bunch of different things into effect, uh, not just match ratings, but uh, build, atmosphere, um, memorable moments on the show, all sorts of uh, different stuff. And uh, we come up with a formula to try to rate the show based off that. So having a blast doing that right now. uh, We are in the midst of our season on 2004-2005. By the time this comes out, we will have done, I believe, um vengeance and the SummerSlam. so be on the lookout for that and then speaking of pay-per-views or premium live events after every wwe uh pay-per-view slash premium live event and aw pay-per-view you can catch me and my best friend not the tool man tim taylor right here on the north south connection with viewers choice where uh we take no more than 30 or 40 minutes uh, we tell you what to watch and what to skip uh, if you haven't seen the pay-per-view or if you have and just want to hear our opinions on it uh you know you can do that too so just a quick breakdown of the pay-per-view uh we're pretty pretty quick to market right after it airs um so you can hear us after every pay-per-view uh right here on the north south connection perfect awesome check that out um i'll give a shout out to a new show uh seven months of danger where um sean kidd uh logan cross and matt souza and i think i'm guessing uh occasion on that one but they're going through the uh the uh, the formation and kind of the entirety of the angle the uh, dangerous alliance angle so kind of a limited run series where they kind of have a pretty set end date that they'll get to relatively quickly compared to say this podcast but kind of just going through and hitting the the main points of that so that's a cool new show we have here um, but again thanks for coming Marcus on a night when we are uh, mourning the loss of our beloved Dinger Tuesday um, mm-hmm. that. As that we found out tonight will no longer be going on, which is very sad for us. Um, one of the highlights of our week always, but um, still fun to talk 2003 WWE with you. 
Thanks for having me on. Um, leave the memories alone. Look <laughs> as we uh, mourn the loss of Dinger Tuesday. And uh, there is only one constant love in my life, and that is professional wrestling. Uh, so thanks for having me on. Thanks for letting me uh, talk some 2003 ruthlessly aggressive era with you. And uh, enjoy No Way Out. I will. So I'll be back hopefully in a couple of weeks and we will cover No Way Out. And then we'll be, be in uh, everyone's favorite time of year, which is WrestleMania season, as we start to build to, uh, to WrestleMania 19. It should be a lot of fun. So I will see you then. Don't stop making pop DJ blow my speakers up tonight. I'm a fight till we see the sunlight. Don't stop.